0: Tries work free for a shot, swatted by Ginobili. There's the buzzer. This ball game is over. Manu Ginobili snuffs a shot by James Harden, and the Spurs win Game Five in dramatic fashion.
1: Take that for Grandpa Juice. <laughs> Sekou Smith from the Hang Time Podcast here in Atlanta. My main man Lang Whitaker, yo, in New York today. Manu Ginobili at the Seniors Village, still balling.
2: The Spurs are like the Walking Dead. You think you think you think they're gone? You think you don't have to worry about them? And you, you look over your shoulder, and they're and right there the waiting. Zombies on
1: you? are walking again. They get up
2: and start walking again. Kawhi goes out. Tony Parker goes out, bringing thirty-nine-year-old Manor to run the <laughs> offense and block the shot of the MVP candidate. It's unbelievable. Unreal. Um, I'm gonna
1: tell you the games three and four in Houston. I was down there, and the amount of Spurs fans who were in the building shouting, go Spurs, go. Shouting down Rockets fans on the concourse, taking pictures, wearing full mariachi band outfits. It was spectacular what the Spurs (laughs) fans did. That series needs to go seven games just so we can get a full dose of what they bring to uh, the experience. Yeah. It might go seven games. (laughs) It's probably going to go seven games. (laughs) If Houston's going to win it, it's got to. Yeah, yeah. Um, But uh, Manu with a huge play, obviously, in the – conference semifinal round of these playoffs the Cleveland Cavaliers and Golden State Warriors at home but everybody else is squeezing blood out of the t- out of the turnip I mean they are trying to do whatever they can to, to get to the conference final round Lang, and it's been some not the most beautiful basketball I've ever seen but super competitive like yeah. as competitive as you can get and that's what I always ask for this time of year I don't care you know if you're shooting 55 percent from the floor in a game but I do care that that guys are giving it up on both ends and, and doing whatever they have to do to try and win those games.
2: And the games I was at in, in D.C., games three and four of that series, weren't they, they weren't close uh, at the end. There was times in the beginning where it seemed like, oh, we got a game here, and then yeah. both times the Wizards blew it open. And then last night uh, the Celtics blew open game five. So Well, at least they we'll blew open some –
1: uh, well, at least we get some near fisticuffs in that series.
2: Yeah, that, that's the first Kelly O. versus Kelly O. fight, I think, in <laughs> NBA history.
1: I'll take it. I'll take any playoff drama. I and to can be honest,
2: <laughs> as Al Horford said, it wasn't really a fight. It was <laughs> Kelly Oubre ran into <laughs> Kelly Olenek, and that was it. It was a great so. tackle slash uh, running.
1: I don't even know what to call
2: it. But I think Olinick embellished it a little bit. You thought I mean, he acted he, a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, Oubre ran into him clearly, but it wasn't like he ran the length of the court. I mean, he had like about a ten foot running start and then hit him. And
1: oh, I, I don't care what. Anybody says the the lasting memory I have ten years from now I'll still be laughing at that look on Kelly Oubre's face on the stills where he's like his eyes are bugging out his head and I don't I wish I knew what he said.
2: Well, because he was he was complaining to Monty McCutcheon. Right, he had his back to Oubre and he like I think I, I was sitting with David Aldridge uh, like directly across from it in right. the media seats, so we had like a the clear on view of it and all of a sudden Ubre just turns and starts running at them and you're like what is going on and then <laughs> Olenek awesome. turns around and Ubrey's about a foot from him when he turns around it and, was yeah. spectacular
1: I I jumped I jumped up when I saw it I was like yes I was like we got drama before we uh take another step here uh big shout out to the guys over at the Sound System podcast I got I got to give it up to to Brent Barry and Lawrence Scott they had me crying laughing
2: I think um, they're still talking about us giving
1: us the business <laughs> on their podcast so just want to make sure they understand there's nothing but love from the Hang Time podcast. We got crazy love for our brothers over there doing their thing on the Sound System podcast. and You need to check it out. It's fantastic stuff. Um, super entertaining. Insights that you can't get anywhere else from, from Bones and Lawrence Scott on the Sound System podcast. We, you talked about just the, that series in Boston. The atmosphere, the mood. I mean, people have gotten teeth knocked out. Yeah. The whole night. I mean, this it's my favorite series that I'm not at that I want to watch and see what happens every night, you know, because John Wall is going to have three or four plays that he makes where he looks at the crowd and me mugs him. And, you know, I mean, I I just love the competitiveness between those two teams. And uh, I know you've probably seen this guy nonstop going back and forth to those games Lang, but I'd love to talk to uh, Celtics play by play man, Sean Grandy about what it looks like from where he sits and, and what, he's seen in terms of the evolution of that team so let's catch up with him right quick before we go any further here on the hang time podcast sean sir how are you i just wanted to double check before we get cranked up here you're okay right you didn't know no rogue nba.com reporter ran up to you and tried to knock you down in the hallway or anything did it again not yet i mean
0: you never know because I, I, people are just you know the people you would least suspect as it turns out are the dirtiest people. In the game, it's like, a physical me, series. I, I, I was taken in. I, I'll be honest with you. I've been taken in by Kelly all these years. I, which you one? know All the all the pleases and the thank yous and the Canadian <laughs> stuff, which I realized later was passive aggressive. I mean, you know, just look at that guy. He's, he's a got hockey. Got go- that innocent face. How many Canadian quarters do you think he's jammed into American <laughs> laundry machines over the years? He's that guy. dirty.
1: He's just days. a hockey goon. I don't care what anybody says. He's total exactly. hockey. Exactly. <laughs>
2: uh, we were talking about it earlier, Sean. That at that game three when that happened, kind of thought, oh, this series is going to now, you know, take another turn and it's going to be more intense all the way through. And since that little incident happened, I didn't really feel that much of a difference. I mean, it's still just been blowout after blowout, game after game. How have you seen things uh, since that little thing happened? Uh,
0: I think the stakes, number one, are too high. Number two, I just don't think... These are the personalities. I'm yeah. joking about Kelly Olenek. Listen, Kelly Oubre's the same way. He's a great <laughs> kid. John Wall's a great guy. You know, this, it's just a two teams full of kind of class acts. And, you know, you you put a 16-day footprint on a playoff mm-hmm. series, and that's a lot of column inches and a lot of page clicks and a lot of things that you, that you need. And obviously that incident was what it was. But, I mean, at, at the end of the day, as my partner, Cedric Maxwell, would like to say, who played in the 80s when things were a little more Renegade, right. shall we say? He likes to say, whenever something like that happens and I'm trying to make it into a thing, he's like, those two guys couldn't bust a grape.
1: <laughs> Sean Grandy, play-by-play man for the Celtics, joining us here on the Time Podcast. We, Sean, Lang and I have been arguing for quite some time now about the value. Uh, anyone
0: that's listened knows that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> about the value of a guy like Al Horford. Now, I, I am very pro-Al Horford and have been for years I'm biased, of course. I had him when he was a rookie here in Atlanta, and I watched him help transform a team that had been a doormat into a consistent playoff team nonstop his entire tenure here with the Hawks. What's been his biggest contribution, you think, to the culture of that Boston Celtics team this season?
0: Playing the game right Teaching guys how to play the game right. You know, there are leaders who lead by example, and there are, you know, the vocal leaders. He's not, it's really funny that he's in the same spot that Kevin Garnett was in so many ways because they could not be more diametrically opposed personalities. But the things that they do on the floor. Particularly when it comes to the team game, and boy, game five was a perfect example of Al Horford at the height of his game. He and Brad Stevens, I like to call them, they're kind of like coach player soulmates. You yeah. know, where have they banned each other's whole lives, and it's just <laughs> the perfect fit. But, Seiko, you know, because you watched him all the time, who was the leader in the Atlanta locker room during that 08 playoff series? It yeah. was the rookie, yeah. Al Orford. Yeah. The rookie, who kind of took the reins of that thing when the Hawks pushed the Celtics to seven games, and he's always been that guy. And in Boston, it's. He had the thing at the start of the year with a concussion, and that got pretty scary. And, you know, this isn't the most patient area of the world. <laughs> and he is not a hard-on-your-sleeve guy. So right. I think it's taking people a little longer. Plus, you know, people associate the contract. They don't understand that, you know, how it was. There were four or five other teams that would give them that money if the Celtics did. So uh, all that plays into people say, what, well, 14 points, eight rebounds? So I thought this was a mascot. Nice what were Kevin Garnett's numbers? Well, yeah. Kevin Garnett in 2012, in the lockout season, at 36, had one of the best 36-year-old seasons anyone has ever had, playing a new position. So I think we're becoming a little more sophisticated with the stats and understanding them. But, I mean, that was in a very good year, particularly in the second half. Game five was Al Holford's best game as a Celtic, and he was the best player on the floor in the biggest game the Celtics had played in five years. And if that's not what a max player is about, I don't know what it is.
2: Yeah, I, I tweeted last night I thought that was the best game I'd seen Al play with, with Boston. Um, the, that being said, you know, I, I thought that you know we've been told all season this is Isaiah Thomas' team. This is this is the guy who, who's gonna, you know, score all the points, this is our leader, this is the the guy who um and we saw it in game two when he went for fifty three. What did they need? Isaiah to go for 30? Do they need to, to finish this series off? Is this, do they need another performance like that from Al Horford? What, what do they have to do to, to get one of these last two games and end this thing?
0: I, I think the beauty of where the Celtics are, and you, you guys know this, I've, I've been tweeting this number out. I, I've been, always had the theory that home teams facing elimination tend to find a way to lose that game at home rather than get on a plane. And I think it, <laughs> you know, it, like it doesn't stem from the lesson of the '08 8 Lakers. Mm. Don't win that game. Don't win that fifth game, so you can slide 3,000 miles to take a beating that still leaves a mark nine years later. And home teams, it's just the way this is played out. Home teams right now are 0-9, facing elimination, which is staggering. But 0-9, facing elimination so far. Houston, in, you know, in game six, if they lose to San Antonio, that's 0-10. So I think what the Celtics have to do, I don't think it's any one thing, and they're not going to win tomorrow night by 25 points, and they're not going to shoot 55% for three, and you're not going to get the same game from Al Horford. But if the Celtics can do enough to keep it close, and that really kind of raises the stakes. The so game five was the example of Isaiah. I thought he was walking the line between doing exactly what he needs to do when they make the decision. He's not going to beat us, and I'm starting to lose his patience a little bit. I think he was sort of on that line
2: yeah. as the game
0: was as the game was going along, trying to. He's still he's happy when the team wins, but he's still he's so competitive and so driven and so insane, which is what makes him great. That he hasn't quite completely, it's hard to get a guy like that to completely buy into the fact that he doesn't have to score 40 for the, for the Celtics
1: to win. Right. Sean, I, we've been talking about it all season on the podcast here. The Celtics are in such a crazy position with, it you know, getting the number one seed, yeah. playing deep into the playoffs, chance to get to the conference finals and who knows where. And the draft is coming up June right. 22nd, and they're going to have a top three pick. In the, I mean, I can't remember a time when a team had all these things snowballing in their favor. Um, how how unique is that for the organization, do you think? And and how much do you think Danny Ainge is sitting back licking his chops at what he can add to this group that's already shown themselves to be better than people expected?
0: I think he's happy about it. But Danny, like a lot of fans, uh, you know, Danny has got an itch trigger finger. And I think he also understands that, You're not going to win a championship with a bunch of high-level 20-year-olds running around. Mm -hmm. At some point, there has to be a payoff to all these picks. You could not have scripted, obviously, a better deal, particularly when it seemed like the Garnett-Pierce thing had gone, the old New York Islanders thing. You know, they kept that team together too long in the late 80s, and they didn't deal off the pieces that happened. Danny Ainge watched Red Auerbach, let the Celtics get old, in the late 80s and early 90s without making moves to get the team younger and better, and he was bound and determined not to have that happen, yet it looked like it was going to with Pearson Garnett when everything came into perfect alliance and he was able to make that deal. But it's, it's amazing from an asset standpoint. I think especially depending on how this year ends, I think Celtics fans, and I think Danny, too, is at to the point where, all right, the picks are great, but let's, let's get to the, to the pay window here and, and cash it.
2: What do you, uh, Sean? I, I mean, I know there's probably lots of ways this thing can go, and we don't know. The lottery is next next week, It's so on Tuesday. But out of a pick, like what? What, did, what do the Celtics need out of for next year? Is there anything they can you know use right away from one of these guys?
0: Well, I, I think what the Celtics have, they have a roster with a lot of different elements to it. You know, obviously obviously need that one. Uh, yeah, Kevin Durant. I mean, that wouldn't have been
1: you know. I mean, you realize, and by the
0: way, you realize now. And I, I don't think anybody really thinks even if the Celtics win one of these next two games, that they're going to beat Cleveland, even if you know the most diehard Celtic fan is going to create a scenario in their head where they can beat the Cavaliers on a seven-game series. But wouldn't that be something if the Celtics actually got to the finals anyway? When you think about how close Kevin Durant was, there was about a 12-hour period the night before the decision when a lot of high-level people in the Celtics organization really thought that was going to happen because he was – truly impressed by the Celtics presentation and how Brad Stevens had fished him in the offense so this is how close this was. Look at the season they've had obviously without him. But I think what Dan Gaines wants to do is keep an eye on the rest of the league and see what everybody else is looking for. I think the Celtics need that extra you know, they need that that third score. You know, I I don't think it's the I hate going back and using the example of what was because using Al Horford as Kevin Garnett he's not quite Kevin Garnett. Isaiah Thompson score, isn't Paul Pierce, he's not the same player, but that third component, that third high level player, offensively, when the Celtics need a secondary guy to get a bucket, obviously Al Horford has been that guy at times, but if you had that third guy, if you had one more option and what is already, a, you know, an offense that can be complex at times, Celtics could be a, a really, I mean, they're tough out as it is. Imagine if you had that one more player right. and the Celtics have the assets to go out and get it.
1: Yeah, that, and, and the, the beautiful thing for Danny Ainge is it. It doesn't have to just be the draft. I mean, he's got, like you said, the assets, the young players on great contracts to be able to put a package together, do whatever he wants. So, I mean, it's, what an interesting time, though, for the Celtics to come back, you know, after the big three era, you know, struggle a little bit trying to find their footing and, and, and recalculate things. To be back here now, they feel like they're ahead of the curve to me, Sean. Like they feel like they're they've. this was maybe a year or two, more, you know, earlier than they expected to be this kind of team.
0: Guys, two, a little over two years ago, we're talking twenty-seven months when we're talking right now. About five hours before Pete Carroll decided to throw on second and goal, despite having Marshawn Lynch go two four times the one-yard line. Earlier that day, the Celtics lost the home game and they dropped sixteen and thirty, and they were forty-one and eighty-seven in a year and a half or so under Brad Stevens. They were one of the bottom five or six teams in the NBA. As we talk right now, a little over two years later, just two years. They're one of the six teams left standing. So you not only have gone into the you know, and everybody all along. Here's the strange thing about it: fans kept waiting for lightning to strike. They kept waiting for another new big three. Like it's going to be Carmelo and Kevin Love with Rondo. That'll be the new big three. If right. there was going to be some, you know, one of those kids' board games where you skip, you know, Candyland or wherever you can tell have 5 year When you skip twenty or forty steps, and everyone assumed it would be the same thing again, nobody wanted to take the back road yet know how quickly you can sometimes the back roads If you're on, you know, what's that, Waze, that app? Sometimes the back roads <laughs> get you there pretty fast. So it, taking the back roads and adding who's the star you added. The star you added was the 60th player in the draft. There's a, there's a, I just saw, caught a tweet today that there's a story out about who the 56th or 59th picks were in the draft, how they're all playing overseas that year. And here's Isaiah, the 60th pick of the draft. And while everyone was salivating, this year about Paul George, and Jimmy Butler, and before that about Kevin. Lo- I mean Kevin Love, Kevin Love, Kevin Love. Lo, it's all we heard about. And all the stars of Celtics chased, they lit up with a star of their own, and that's a big part of the reason, you know, they were able to, to make the jump so fast. But it's how many teams, and this is I'm sort of saying this to Boston fans listening who sometimes get unhappy or impatient. I'm like, how'd you like to be Minnesota right now? How'd you like the be- Memphis has been a great team the last. I mean, you can't ask for much more as an organization than what you've got for the Memphis Grizzlies over the last few years. How many conference finals? How many NBA finals? How many whatever? And that's a really good team. Right. Now, what about the teams that are on the outside looking in? that have waited six, seven, eight, nine years just to get a crack at it, to get back. How long has the process been going on? We all know it's going well in Philadelphia, but look how long that's taken. And for the mm-hmm. Celtics, it was, it's been 27 months from the bottom of the league to the brink of the conference final.
1: Yeah, that's just for my. Sean,
2: I'm Sean. am hurt that you brought up Super Bowls, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> as a Falcons fan, I, can't I got 25 reasons why you that. ought to
1: be really hurt. That's because here, Lane,
0: get this one. Now, the, I've been there's this number all year with the Celtics, which has been the indicator of Celtic success. Everyone points to the turnovers tonight. It's about rebounding. When the mm-hmm. Celtics and they're not a good rebounding team. When they keep the rebounding numbers just close, they just have to keep it close within five. They're 49 and 11. But when they won, the last time they won a rebounding battle, it was I think either in game one against Washington, maybe the last game against Chicago. And it was the thirty first time this year that the Celtics had won the rebounding battle. And of course their record in those thirty one? Twenty
2: eight. Twenty eight and
0: three. and three. Yeah. So that was the the Smart. number. And last night finally changed it. it. was the first time in like two weeks that number changed because last night they won the rebounding battle with game five. So what's it? 29-3, but yeah, we had the 28-3, and Belichick's at the game all the time, and everybody's doing their <laughs> job. It's just, you know, the love affair between the teams the last 10
1: years. It's alright, Lane. Pick yourself up, man. Pick yourself up. He's Sean, he's still salty. I don't know if he'll ever get over it. They'd have to win about eight Super Bowls <laughs> I, for him to get listen,
0: over it. I don't people in Boston <laughs> certainly understand. People in New York, when uh, it's funny, that, that stuff, that your childhood stuff, the long-time fans stuff, never really dies, and even now, I don't know how many years it's been. I grew up in New York, and when the Rangers lose, especially when they lose those overtime games. I, I mean, I felt like the worst parent in the world. Cause I had my five-year-old watching the Rangers, and when they lost that overtime game, he started, like, throwing couch cushions. I'm like, oh, my God, what what have I done? This isn't, you know, and you still don't get over the things. When the Rangers lost to get an overtime game to Ottawa, I flash back to, like, 1984. And they lost <laughs> overtime to the Islanders. Game five, you never... Never get over here like that. So yeah. don't don't
1: try to do it today. Well, look, I hope that the rest of this uh, conference semifinal between the Wizards and Celtics is that kind of serious for people. You can check our man Sean Grandy out on the play by play along with Cedric Maxwell. Uh, great stuff as always. We appreciate you taking some time out to join us. Game six, Friday on ESPN at eight Eastern. I'll be tuning in. Want to see who gets a tooth knocked out or bounces their head off the court? Um, something dramatic has to happen I'll in, in see you six. in D-
2: I'll see you in DC Sean <laughs> I look
1: forward to it Thanks
2: sir appreciate you You got it guys
1: That's awesome stuff from Sean Grandy Lang and 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 it really it, it it punctuates so many different things we talk about all year round here on the podcast just it's much more complex when you're trying to build to a championship level And I'm going to bring something up here that we probably shouldn't but I'm going to bring it up anyway You <laughs> your Hawks Going through some front office turmoil, and this is a great reminder for me at just how impatient and unrealistic people can be. Everybody's running around belly aching like, "Oh, we were 60 win team a couple years ago. We went to the conference finals." As if the Hawks do that on the regular. So they're upset now because they got a team that they say, "Well, we're, we're not. We, you know, we're not competing for a championship." You haven't competed for a championship in forever. Not legitimately. And the 60-win season was a fluke. So here you are looking for a new, for a new team, president of basketball ops or whatever, and with this misguided expectation that you're supposed to be a 60-win conference final team every year. Do people not understand that that does not happen every year unless you have a transcendent player? Like, unless you have a LeBron or, or a combination of stars like the Warriors, you don't do that every year. It doesn't happen every year.
2: Two things. Number one, I don't think that should be the expectation. I agree, I, but I I do think the expectation should be better than losing in the first round of the playoffs. And number two, um, I'm available for that <laughs> for that position. You and DA's uh,
1: consulting firm. You just yeah. tag team I, when you can do I it one day. Somebody else the next. I haven't heard from
2: uh, I haven't heard from Grant or Steve Coonan <laughs> or anybody there, but I'm I'm available.
1: I did ask Grant if they were taking apps because I was uh I was on game time. They are on the pregame from uh, Houston the other night, and mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to know—I was double checking—are they taking apps? Not that I don't love my job here. I know we both love our jobs, yeah, but anytime you got an opportunity to run an NBA franchise, you got to what, John? You got at least inquire. I got a package
2: deal, two of us. Yeah. Go for it.
1: You got to inquire. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It, just, but it, again, it, it Boston has a sports fan base that has been spoiled tremendously obviously over the years and certainly in recent years look at they've won a championship in every sport right mm-hmm. at least one in every sport in the last however many years because the have the Bruins won a championship
2: <laughs> I don't know no, feels like that they won enough the, the Patriots have won enough
1: yeah but, but I mean the Patriots have won enough to, to satisfy any sports fans appetite but this idea that they would be so upset with the Celtics after the big three era they win a championship and our championship factor for a handful of years, I mean, Danny Ainge had some leeway to, to do what he's done now. And he's done a fantastic job piling up assets. You know, you don't always get high draft picks and they pan out. He's at least gotten picks that are guys who are still in the league and, and pr- productive. They may not be superstars. Right. But at least they're productive and they're and they're guys that you can use as assets to make something happen. I almost feel like we have to really adjust our our understanding of how this league works now. You know, I, I've heard people around here dismissing the Hawks making the playoffs, you know, ten straight years as if that's something to, you know, oh, who cares? Or you know, like, do you realize where you were before this decade long run? Do they do 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 their fans understand
2: that? I believe they do. I don't know. We've like, talked about this on here. You were like. One time you asked me, would you know, should the Hawks tear it down or, or are you okay just you know making the playoffs every year? And I, I said, I'm, I'm fine just making the playoffs every year. I, I remember what it was like, yeah. the year they won, you know, 14 games or whatever it was, 13 games. I, I remember what those years are like. I just
1: feel like, you, to me, you're lucky if your team wins a championship in your lifetime. Yeah, seriously, my team has wanted one won championship in my in my years on earth. I'm good. If I, you know, if I go to Neptune next week for for the remainder of my existence. I'll leave this earth feeling good about the fact that I got a chance to watch my team win one title. That's well, here's the thing. good enough for me. Y-
2: you might have to go to Neptune if you're a team in the Eastern Conference for the next 5 <laughs> years or so. As long as LeBron's playing the way he's playing. No question. No I don't question. know if there's any uh, I think we're just, you know, changing rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic <laughs> right now. Come
1: come next week. Come conference finals time we are going to discuss uh LeBron some more um I know we gave him short shrift today but we will we will be discussing the conference finals on both sides the Cavs and the Warriors get into that discussion a little bit more as once we find out who their opponents will be I'm going west I'm assuming you're going east so we'll we should have some interesting perspective and, and insights to add but again before we finish it off Friday night game six Rockets and Spurs will have uh either extended their series or or the Spurs will have advanced. You know, they play tonight uh, in a a game six in Houston that is momentous for James Harden and the Rockets. Obviously, they got to have it to extend it to a a seventh game. Uh, So still, even with Cleveland and Golden State already locked into the conference finals, a whole lot of drama left in these NBA playoffs. Uh, I'm going to make sure that I'm tuned in to all of the uh, action coming up, Lang. But folks need to make sure they subscribe on iTunes. Be sure to leave a, a glowing review. Um, new episodes every Thursday this postseason. And, uh, again, don't forget to check out NBA Sound System every other Tuesday. Another fantastic podcast. here from the podcast network that is growing and, and thriving here at NBA.com. Um, shout out to Sean Grant, the play-by-play man from the Celtics, Lang, for joining us. And And seriously. I want you to buckle down, think about this long and hard, and ask yourself, what do we have to do to get the job as code team president <laughs> of the Atlanta Hawks?
2: I'm texting Graham. Be done.
1: Yeah, let's, let's try and make this happen, um, and maybe we'll have a special announcement right here next week on the Hangtime Podcast. Later.
0: Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes. For a new episode
2: every single Thursday this season, and as always, people, remember, say Kuna Matata!